I am a passionate human (laughs) and I love my species. And I look forward to 500 years from now when, when we can look back at this and go, geez, what were we thinking? That's Kay Radzik, architect, adventurous, placemaker, and potential future Martian. Kay is one of 100 people shortlisted globally in the Mars One project, an international effort to send humans to Mars in 2031, one way. What compels someone like Kay to leave this planet forever? I might have some idea. I'm one of the other 100 shortlisted to go. My name is Diane McGrath, and for National Science Week this year, Josh Richards and myself, we're meeting some of the other Mars 100 candidates from around the world who may one day be joining us on the Red Planet. We'll be asking that question that everybody wants answered. Why? You're listening to the Future Martians podcast with Diane McGrath and Josh Richards, a special presentation for National Science Week 2018. Well, today on our podcast, we're going to be meeting one of our other international candidates, Kay, and uh, Kay's located in Reno in the States. So, uh, Kay, um, thanks so much for joining us for Future Martians. No, no, thank you. I, I feel quite honored to be speaking with you today, Diane. Thanks. Oh, not a problem at all. And um, I've been fortunate enough to have had a, a chat with you in the past as well. I remember one time we had a, a bit of a chat with uh, one of our other colleagues who's in, in Mexico. Um, a while, it feels like forever ago. Um, and so I've, I've, I know a little bit about your background and your fascinating story about how you've got from A to B and through many pathways. Do you mind sharing some of your backstory with others who might be listening to this from whether it's career or where you've lived and so on? Oh, yeah, no problem. No problem. Um, uh, Currently, I am an architect in uh, Reno, Nevada, USA, and I am also on the management team at the Mars Desert Research Station and also a member of the Mars Society and Planetary Society. And I, I tend to stay focused on things like that on my spare time. But, you know, the, the, my path from A to B is C, D, E, F, G. So <laughs> I, you know, I, I, I have led a, and I am leading a, a, you know, a, a pretty roundabout life, but, uh, you know, I, uh, you know, I, I went to college at, uh, Cal Poly, uh, that is the California Polytechnic, uh, State University in San Luis Obispo, California. And, I've, you know, I've lived in other places like Seattle and Denver and San Francisco, and I did my fourth year study in design in, in uh, Geelong at Deakin University in Australia. And yes, and uh, it's, um, gosh, I, it all started when I was, uh, you know, working as a, a janitor at a grocery store, and I said I wanted to be an architect, and it's been a, it's been a, it's been a roundabout <laughs> journey since then. But, you know, here I am, I'm, I'm, I'm doing what I love to do. I'm a placemaker. I work for a construction company because I'm more hands-on. We're a design build firm. And, you know, it, it, it's, I am more involved in the construction process as well as design. So I, I think I've found a happy medium here. That's it. Like that whole role of placemaker. I love that you use that term because it's an architect is not just somebody who can draw and um, conceptualize a, a place. It's it's so much more than that. Like the making of a place. It's fascinating. Is it is it a term that's used by the industry very much? Not 
that I know of. I just tend to call myself that because I look at everything that I design, whether it be a little garage for somebody's car or a, you know, a multi-story, you know, a multifamily building as a, an environment where people, where people are going to be living and interacting with. And it is not just four square walls and, you know, a space is a space. And, and, and it's really important that, you know, everything that you do to produce this, this object, you know, I, yeah, I want it to last forever and I want to use great materials, reused materials, materials that are, um, you know, that, that are, are, you know, environmentally sound. And, um, it's, it's, yeah, it, it, to me, it's, it's a journey, you know, and I, and I really like, I really like the journey, you know, through a design process. And I, my, you know, when they break ground and when the, when, you know, walls are going up and it just, to me, that's just, I am so at home there. <laughs> it must be, it must be such a joy to see it evolving over time as well in that journey. Yeah. Yeah. There's ups and downs and there's, you know, financial, financial things involved. And, you know, there's, there's, it, it's a lot of complications, but, you know, when you're in the design process and you know if you're thinking of creating something I I think it's very imperative that you you know you know step out of it and look at the big picture and and anticipate uh you know the reactions and the and the and the 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 implications of everything you do so you know as far as I'm concerned you know that's that's my approach to you know, the world, the built environment. So, you know, and not that I can, I'm not speaking for everybody because it, you know, every, every architect your philosophy is different. Of, yeah. 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 And I think it's really important to, um, you know, just to, to, to solve problems and be part of the answer. And it sounds like it's um, just listening to you describe the process that you take, that it's, it sounds like something would involve quite a team of people to do that. Oh yeah. There's there, it's never, Uh, an isolated thing. It's just like, uh, you know, um, you know, it's all about the mission and the mission is a failure if, if the team isn't carrying their weight. And it's technically the architect is the liaison between all the team members. It's enthralling to me to, to be in a position where, you know, I can make sure that everybody is is doing what they need to do, and uh, you know we're we're looking at the end the end game, and but yet we can do this this that this that and the other thing to get there. It's a journey, so uh, that's that's just part of the fun of it. It's almost like project managing a journey uh, of of creation. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it it's less man. It's less managing. It's more of a, an awareness of your end goal and being a part of that 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 team. Because again, it, it the the project will fail if if you know the team you put together or the team that you're working with is, is um, not up to par. And I've worked with some fabulous fabulous engineers and designers and consultants and things like that. So I, I I've been quite lucky. Yeah, and it's and actually one of the other roles that um, you mentioned that you're involved with, you do some um, almost advisory sort of work with MDRS. Is that right? Yeah, the Mars Desert Research Station is one of two um, analog environments that the Mars Society owns. One is in on Devon Island. Uh, that's called the Flashline Mars Research Station, F Mars. 
And the MDRS is in um, Hanks, just outside of Hanksville, Utah, in the middle of the desert. And, you know, you can go to the their website and, you know, marssociety.org and look at what the MDRS is. But um, they have crews come and do uh, simulation missions uh, and two-week missions from October to May when it's really cold out there. So it's just like Mars. <laughs> there's nothing out there. There's no plants. There's nothing out there. So, but once May hits, it uh, gets very, very, very hot and stuff like that. I'm also a judge for the uh, International uh, um, University Rover Challenge too. So that kind of ends the season for me. This year we had uh, 35 teams and 10 countries and Poland won. And, you know, it was, it was so fun. Wow. And so being a judge, so what do you look for when it comes to you know, the, the rover? I mean, this is, what's the, the output? They're trying to build a rover that's going to be able to be efficient or effective or do something unique and novel or but what what were they trying to do the different teams just like any mars rover we're not we're not judging the rover itself it's a task oriented competition and there are four stations and there are x amount of tasks and these rovers are remotely operated. So the, the operators, and we call them the, the drivers at the base station, they cannot see those rovers, right? They have to do it through their cameras, just like we, just like we do here at, at JPL, right? Yeah. So they have tasks and each task is worth XYZ points. And so uh, the judges, we just follow the rovers and uh, make sure they complete or not complete the tasks. And at the end, um, I think there's a... There's a total of 300 points possible for all the tasks, and uh, we actually put together all the tasks, and the we try to kill those rovers, right? <laughs> <laughs> because you know, not there's no such thing as a perfect solar in this. So you know, it's it's you know, it's it's kind of sad, you know, when somebody spends all year making the rover and it and it crashes. But you know what? That's part of the process. I mean, these students are going to go on to JPL or SpaceX or wherever and they you know they to know what it takes to put together a project with a team and to get it to work and to get it to do you know through your mathematics and through yeah. your through all your sciences to get it to work and do what you want it really gives those students a view of what the the team at JPL is doing for instance for curiosity i mean it, it's not not easy but it's doable everything is doable and that's why I, I, I love participating in that. And, and this is a safe place to find those problems, isn't it? Yeah, I think so too. You know, I, I think it's a great thing for, for all the STEM programs. And so this is something which is done through secondary schools or is it a tertiary um, program? This is a tertiary school. It's un, uni, university students. Oh, that's brilliant though. I mean, I can imagine the students at schools today, even just at secondary schools, could they could jump on board with this once they find uh, even that might even attract them to some of the universities if they're interested in that whether it's coding or mathematics or other sciences that's really exciting i didn't even um i was not aware of it so thank you for sharing that it's fantastic oh no problem hey Austra uh, australia had a team this year oh how'd they go i think they did very well i i do believe they were they're great guys and girls so we're just you can go to urc.marsociety.org and look at all the all the stats and stuff like that but one of the things i do uh as a mars 100 candidate is i do get asked to speak at uh science fairs and things like that and i just spoke at uh, science saturday 
here in Reno. We have a what's called the Challenger Center for Learning, and that's um, the, the the Challenger that that the ill-fated Challenger. Um, sadly, that 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 uh, ended its mission quite um, succinctly back in '86. But the uh, the wives uh, the wives and the the mates of the of the astronauts got together and they started the Challenger Center for Learning. And there's there's chapters in almost all the states. So it allows the uh, allows young students to come and explore and take part in um, learning uh, about space. It's kind of like space camp. And um, every year they have a science Saturday and um, they have, you know, guest speakers. And this year I spoke about um, analog um, stations all around the world. I think there's about six active ones right now, five or six. And, and it was really fun to let them know that not only do you train astronauts in a sort of classroom or whatever atmosphere, but you need to train them for isolation. And those analog stations are very, very important in part of learning what it's like, you know, to be in an isolated situation because they have no contact and they can't even leave the analog stations without being in stimulation out the suits, you know, and things like that. And even the communications with the uh, Capcoms, they, they wait 20 minutes. I mean, there's delay. They delay all their, anyway, it's fun, fun to be part of that. (laughs) I could talk your ear off about that. (laughs) No, not a problem at all. And well, it does highlight, I mean, that whole idea that isolation. We know that in these final stages of our selection for the Mars One program and also theorized for the training program, that, that isolation training will be a part of that as well. Is that, is that something that you think is an exciting part of it or it seems to me uh, to be a critical part? Yeah, I think it's, it's, it is a critical part. You know, all of it is exciting. I mean, you know, granted, that's a, that's a given. However, I think if you, uh, if you think about it, and one of the questions you had asked me you know, via email was that what made you, you know, want to even apply for this was that when I first heard about Mars One, it was, you know, through social media. And I'm like, what, you know, I, I want to do this because, you know, being the the thinker that I am in a nanosecond, I I pictured myself in a tin can for seven months, uh, living in in a very farty atmosphere with three other people, and you know. And I said, you know, I, I could do that. I could, t- I you know, I've lived on a fishing boat for a, almost a year, so you know, um, it can't be any worse than that. But the whole idea of isolation and sequestration, I should say, you know, is, is you're taking humans whose natural um, propensity is towards the social and you're putting them in for the rest of their lives in a situation where they have physical contact with 11 other people. And, you know, when you think about really what it is, is a, uh, you know, one, a true test of stamina or whatever you want, but also that, it is definitely not for everybody. It is unfathomable for for most people. But being the the left brain kind of person that I am, I, I just think, you know, we've always been explorers. That's part of our nature as well. And we've always lived in tiny groups. You know, that is ingrained in us. And 
we've always wanted to really push the envelope on where we live and how we live. And I think it's an imperative that we have an out, a manned outpost on Mars. I think it's important for us to continue learning about our place because our, yeah, our natural human curiosity will never be sated. And if we stay on this planet, that would be very stagnating to me as a member of the human race, if that makes any sense to you. No, absolutely. And and just the language you've been using then too about um, the groups and where and how we'll live. And it comes back as well to this concept I, I seem to hear from you about, once again, placemaking and, and just to conceptualize placemaking. Uh, as a new community on another planet. It's just mind-blowing and exciting. Swinging it back to it's not for everybody, I, I think that there is a segment of people on this whole planet that don't even think twice about living on another planet. How we get there, when we get there, or whatever, that's, you know, that's in the works, and et cetera, et cetera. But the fact that you can be committed to an endeavor like this, says a lot about your fellow teammates and you know there are 99 other people on this planet that I know that want to do what I want to do and that's to me that's that's very comforting and you know uh, we'll see what the future brings Diane it's it's you know we can't rush into this now yeah. <laughs> no well and I uh, don't we can't rush into it, and and this process itself has taken many years. Um, putting our applications in. I mean, when was it that you initially heard about Mars One through social media? It was um, early in twenty thirteen, or yeah, it was the it was in April, and the uh, dead the deadline to actually click on send was August thirty first, and. I really wanted to have an awesome application, so I really. <laughs> you know, it had, right, it had like five little essay questions and it had, you know, a Q&A and it had, yes. you know, th- and the video thing. And I, I love Skyping now. And, you know, even back then I was like, well, duh, I've never even made a video. So I was like, oh my gosh, you know, so I was, I was yeah. more worried about getting a video and I made, I made a ton yeah. and they were all, it had, they had to be 70 seconds or whatever it was. And every, oh, there were all like 74 <laughs> seconds or 80 seconds. And I'm like, I, I don't even know how to edit. So I had to redo it and redo it. And it was, and, and, and it's like, I wanted to make sure my grammar was correct and, you know, all this stuff. And, I, I ended up clicking on send like five minutes to midnight. <laughs> well, Fantastic. <laughs> yeah, and, it, and it's so funny because I was like, uh, I'm more of a living in the now thing. And I didn't forget about the application, but I said, you know, I have a life to live. Like right even now, you know, I go to work, I play with my dogs, I work in my garden. And, you know, I, I, you know, I love my life and everything. And I've been eating better. And I've been, you know, going to the gym and things like that. I'm really taking care of myself because you get that email, right? (laughs) And it says you've been selected. And, and it's like, wow, yeah, okay, cool. That's a great enhancement of my life. Right. So (laughs) it hasn't uh, clogged my life at all. 
In fact, I, I look at, look at the candidacy as an enhancement of my already fun life. So if that makes any sense. <laughs> you know, there are many ways to, to look at the whatever life presents to you. And, uh, and if you can see even the challenges as an enhancement, that's fantastic. I mean, there have been uh, undoubtedly, I'm sure, some various challenges over the years as being part of this process. So how long the time process has been. I know there's been friends or family that would like things to happen faster naturally uh, and uh, and other other things as well like even life life changes in in the meantime as well during this period yeah of course oh gosh I am I am so gonna bore you <laughs> I look at it this way I ever since I was a small child I always said I I want to live till I'm a hundred and 30, you know, I mean, I just assumed that it was. And mom and dad, they're, you know, dad's almost 90, mom's will be 91 next month. And, you know, longevity is just an assumed thing. So, I, you know, time is a weird thing with me, Diane. I, I, I look at, you know, that time we applied and then the time we were the 1058 and then, you know, the time that we all got together at the Mars Society convention and met each other and then, to me, that condenses into just life. Time has no any effect on me in the regards to hurry this or slow down this. I mean, it's it just, I get that question often. It's like, well, what's going on? Or it's not going to happen or whatever. And, I, and I'm like, as long as we're keeping forward momentum, it's good for the for everything. You know, and it's not it's not just Mars One, it's SpaceX and it's NASA and it's ESA, it's JAXA, it's Roscosmos, it's everybody working towards a common goal is to get people to go to Mars. So I'm just I'm just a, a wee little part of that. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. And actually that's a really good point about so many other organizations working towards this common goal of getting to Mars in all of the different ways that they may be doing it. Um, what do you think what are some of the things that you think that others could be doing to support all of these different missions that are to find our place in in the universe? Generally, I think that people need to stop reading the news. <laughs> <laughs> No, I mean, no, I mean, okay, here, you hear me out on this. There is a tend to, for people to dwell on the minutiae. And I just really, my words that I get out to people, and I usually conclude all my talks this way, is that, yes, we're a, a cruel and mean species. Yes, we get caught up in the repeating historical foibles and things like that. However, we're also a species that can think beyond this planet and beyond this galaxy. We're capable of sending a little orbiter around an asteroid, you know, to explore it. I just know collectively that that we're capable of so much, but we do not give ourselves credit for that as a species. I think that we really can focus you know, more on, on STEM teaching or STEAM teaching too. The arts are, are uh, very important. I am a passionate human. 
<laughs> and I love my species. And I look forward to 500 years from now when, when we can look back at this and go, geez, what were we thinking? Yeah, yeah. It's And, uh, you know, looking back is always, what is it, Um, yeah, that whole hindsight, <laughs> 2020? It's a fantastic thing. We could do <laughs> yeah. things so much differently. Um, it, yeah. it does lead me to, I want to ask a, almost like a, that final sort of question that we commonly get asked about, is there something you'd like to, with your great passion that you have, um, do before leaving this planet? If you were lucky enough to be in one of the early crews, be selected to go to Mars. Uh, you know, I get asked that a lot. It's like, I get, I, it's like, what, yeah, what do you want to do before you go? Or what would you bring with you? And, you know, the usual thing. And, and I, you know, um, because I know that uh, I know myself so well, I, gosh, um, what I'm doing is pretty cool. So I'll just keep doing what I'm doing. And I, there's, you know, like maybe uh, travel a little more and see the rest of the planet. I mean, I, I've lived in Australia. I was born in Japan. I visited, you know, the South Pacific a, a, a bit. I've never been to Europe, you know, so yeah, I am, I am going to Ireland in, in three weeks. So <laughs> to, to an, to a, to an Irish wedding. Oh, how exciting. Oh yeah. It's going to be awesome. So um, yeah, my first foray into Europe for foray into Europe is a is a wedding <laughs> in Killarney. So um, wow, <laughs> you know it's a it's a short trip. So you know, just like you know, dipping my toes in the pool, and, you know, and then I'll come back and go to the Mars Society convention at the end of August. So you know, there's that. So yeah, um, I look forward to the training. I look forward to getting to know the others more. I, I look at the 24, you know, 24 will get hired and get trained, but you know what? There's 76 other support members. And if I am not chosen as a 24, you can bet I'll be their wingman or woman, because I, I think it's really important. And if you, you know, step back and look at, let's say you get, you get picked as being one of the 24 and uh, you're, you're on this intense, another journey of your life. And you need to be reassured that there are others who have gone through what you have gone through. And if you ever needed to talk, if you ever needed support or anything, you know, I'll be there. We've got each other's back. And, and, and I think that, that in and of itself speaks greatly about you know, the people that are going through this with us. Well, I'd like to just offer you the chance to, if you don't mind sharing any other final thoughts you have as well, uh, including um, if you do have a, a social media presence where people can follow your journey, your extraordinary journeys that you have. <laughs> My extraordinary journeys. You know, honestly, I've always wanted to start a blog, but I don't. I mean, I'm on K Radzik on Facebook and, uh, you know, I'm doing, you know, this, that and the other thing. Uh, as far as, you know, when people ask me to speak, uh, I'll speak. I, I'm uh, on the agenda for the uh, TEDx in Los Gatos, California on September 20th. So that'll be fun. And yeah, so, and, and I'm going to be talking about, um, you know, my experiences with Mars One and, and what I do as a member of society. Uh, you know, I've outlined my talk. I've never done a TED Talk before, but my problem is I have to, you know, tone it down and and focus on keeping it down to 15 minutes. <laughs> <laughs> 
Well, that's fantastic. I hope uh, that anyone that uh, has the chance to listen to this will then find your TED Talk when it's available online and and, uh, follow some more of your story. So thank you so much for giving us some time, Kay, to to learn more about you. And uh, I can't wait to be a part of the next Great Step for Humanity with you. Oh, yes. Great. Thanks, Diane. Same to you. And it's been quite an honor to talk to you. And I thank you for your time and let me talk too. Thanks. No worries. Thank you. That was Kay Radzik. Thanks so much, Kay, for sharing your personal stories and some extraordinary adventures with us today. In the next episode, we'll meet one of the other international candidates, Mikolai Zielinski. Big shout out to the population of Mars providing the fantastic soundtrack that we use for this podcast. You can find more of their work if you go to soundcloud.com backslash P-O-P-O-F-M-A-R-S. And thank you as well to National Science Week for their ongoing support of this podcast. If you want to find out what's happening in your area during National Science Week this year, just go to the website scienceweek.net.au. I'm Di McGrath, and you've been listening to the Future Martian Podcast.